Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hey, everyone. Good morning. I'm Blake Wynn, your host for today's edition of Macro Minutes, uh, which we're recording at 9 a.m. Eastern on September 12th. So looking ahead, we have a number of central bank events on deck, uh, ECB meeting this week, and then we'll have the Fed and Bank of England next week. Overall, it seems like uh, we're coming up on closing time for global hiking cycles, but markets are still waiting to see if some of the major central banks are going to try to get one last round in before the lights come on. That's why we decided to call today's episode Last Call. Uh, We've got a great panel of speakers today. Uh, We're going to discuss the likely end of hiking cycle across the various regions. I'm going to start off talking about the Fed, uh, then I'll hand it over to Kale Kennedy to discuss the ECB Bank of England, uh, then Simon Dealey to talk about Bank of Canada. And then breaking with the theme a bit, uh, we'll hand it over to Adam Cole to talk about the yen and potential for Bank of Japan intervention, uh, which is another topic I think has been on a lot of market participants' minds recently. And then we will finally finish up with Sulin Ong, who will focus on the RBA. So let's kick it off with the Fed, who are meeting next Wednesday. Recall that this is an SEP meeting, uh, meaning we're going to get an update to the economic forecast and the so-called dot plot, uh, which we last saw in June. Also recall that we just heard extensively from Powell Jackson Hole just several weeks ago. Given that not a lot's changed on the economic front since Jackson Hole, I think we're kind of assuming Powell's comments also aren't going to be materially changed from what we heard at the end of August. Similarly, with the FOMC statement, um, you know, we don't really expect major changes there, except perhaps some marginal marketing to market around some of the recent softening signs we've seen in the labor markets. Given all that, uh, I think the market focus and likely price response around tomorrow's FOMC, uh, around next week's FOMC is going to be focused around the dot plot and specifically the 2024 median. Um, the 2023 median, which is only going to cover two meetings at this point, is almost certainly going to stay at the current level of five and five eighths. Assuming the Fed doesn't hike next week, this would be a, a massive, massive surprise. This leaves the Fed some optionality to hike again um, and also make sure that markets don't start pricing a more aggressive pivot. Uh, markets have generally been viewing the likelihood of this final hike at uh, just below 50%, and regular listeners or you know, readers of our pieces will know that we generally agree with this pricing. We think July will end up being the last hike of the cycle and put a pretty low bar, though, on getting another hike in November or December. Um, As we said, though, 2024, I think, is going to be the much more interesting development. That's largely because the market conversation and I think the focal point of a lot of the market's volatility over the last month has really shifted from the conversation on terminal Fed funds rate out to the expected path of cuts in 2024 and beyond. Recall that the median dot in June showed 100 basis points of cuts in 2024, and the markets appear to be using that gap as pretty important framing for what's priced uh, for 2024. If you look at SOFA pricing, that's generally seen a, a pretty strong ceiling around 106 basis points since SVB. To be sure, I, th- I think the median 2024 dot is very likely going to rise. It only takes one or two participants near the current median to raise their submission to push that median dot higher. But what I think is going to be more important for markets and what they'll be more tuned to will be the entire distribution. If, if many members are now starting to pare back on cutting expectations for 2024 relative to what they saw in June, that may finally provide the catalyst for a break uh, to the top of that market range that we were discussing that's held since SVB. Um, but we think markets are largely set up for this, to be honest. Trading cuts has been a fairly popular trade, and I think the bigger pain trade and market reaction may come on a lack of upward movement in the 2024 dots rather than uh, that median simply shifting higher. And this, again, returns us to a point I think we've been focusing on for much of the summer, that the Fed narrative is likely going to remain stable for some time, and it may take a while for either cut fading or 
and contrast the hard landing steepener thesis to really play out. And with lack of major movement or confirmation on those themes, you know, the recent ranges are likely to hold, and the chop within those is going to be driven by secondary themes, second-tier data prints, quick shifts in and out of tactile positions, which we think has really been uh, the major driver over the last few weeks. Lastly, we'll just leave with the caveat that we will have CPI tomorrow. So um, everything we've just talked about, you know, a lot of that framing could change into the into the meeting if we get some kind of surprise on, surprise on CPI. Uh, but for our part, we're expecting a 0.2 month-over-month print, which I think is right in that kind of Goldilocks range where it really wouldn't change a lot of the discussion on the Fed headed into next week's meeting. With that, uh, let's talk a little bit uh, about Bank of England and Europe. Hand it over to Kale. Thanks, Gwyn. Um, yeah, I mean, kind of we in Europe, if you like, get back from our summer holidays um, in earnest um, over the next uh, fortnight or so. ECB in focus this week um, with the Bank of England then um, following um, next Thursday. And in the case of both, we are um, eyeing, if you will, um, the end of the current hiking cycle, trying to kind of get a pinpoint, if you will, on where um, the current hiking cycle comes to an end. Now, for the ECB, we think that they've already reached their end point, um, and we actually expect them to keep rates unchanged at this week's meeting. And if they do so, that would mark the first time since July 2022 that they have um, held um, rates um, at, a, at, a, at a meeting. So uh, kind of a significant milestone, if you will. Now, the market is, um, there are splits in terms of the view um, ahead of the meeting. The market is pricing around a 40% chance of a 25 basis point rate hike. Analysts similarly rough, divided roughly 60-40 in favor of a hold. So kind of worth just saying kind of why we think the ECB will forgo a rate hike. And there's a couple of reasons. One is just a very important change in the language that we, we, we saw at the last meeting um, back, way back in July. The ECB moving from saying that rates um, will be brought to sufficiently restrictive levels to saying that they, they will be set at um, sufficiently restrictive levels. So this is something which is very much, very heavy emphasis put on this by President Lagarde in the press conference. And we kind of saw the ECB moving from where it was discussing where, we, where, where rates needed to get to um, to really kind of, you know, beginning to focus on how long they needed to be held there. Now, in addition, um, you know, we, there are growing concerns about the growth outlook here in, in Europe in the face of um, a marked weakening in um, activity um, indicators. And I think one notable thing about this meeting is that it will see updated staff forecasts published um, alongside and in particular, we expect those to um, show significant, um, or so we said, meaningful downward revisions in the 2023 and 2024 GDP um, forecasts. Really, really, kind of just just reflecting the weakening in the activity um, indicators that we have seen. So, you know, that's just language from the last meeting will give the ECB, we think, room for a pause this time round. Now, we mentioned, I mentioned there the split in the um, market and analyst expectations. And I think it's just worth saying that that kind of really just reflects the inflation backdrop here in both the euro area um, and across Europe as a whole. Inflation is falling, but we did see some upward surprise in the August data. So, you know, it still has a propensity to surprise. And also, in addition, core inflation proving much more stubborn in terms of um, coming down. So, you know, no change from the ECB, but equally, um, we don't expect any explicit um, messaging, if you will, calling a pause at this stage. I mean, you mentioned respect to this, of the Fed. 
the desire, if you will, to retain optionality. And I think that's kind of the watchword for European banks as well, for European central banks. You know, sort of, so the ECB would expect it to retain its hiking bias, giving it the option going forward to respond to the data should it, should it need to. Now, Bank of England next week, um, and unlike the ECB, and well, like the ECB, close to the end, unlike the ECB, we think probably has one more rate hike left. Now, the tone of the August meeting, uh, meeting minutes um, was, was, was quite significant, you know, in that it saw the NPC express a degree of confidence that it's part, what it has announced to date was having an impact on the economy. Um, while also, kind of, you know, there is this consciousness within the bank that, you know, there is still a lot of the impact to be, to be felt going forward. So the bank feeling more confident that it has perhaps done enough um, and also conscious that sort of much of what it has announced has still to be felt in the economy. Now, Governor Bailey followed up that with comments to um, a parliamentary hearing last week, at which he basically said that the bank was, you know, on the balance of current evidence, much nearer to the top of the cycle than it was. You know, and I think that just really reflects the kind of the, the, the mixed data. You know, I mentioned the, the weakening um, outlook for activity in the euro area, seeing a similar and um, if less pronounced or deterioration in the forward-looking indicators here in the UK. But in particular, um, we see the labour market cooling in the UK. Um, you know, we had uh, labour market data um, this morning showing a pickup in um, the unemployment rate, a fall in um, employment, and kind of, you know, what we might term a broad loosening in labour market conditions. But, you know, Equally, that kind of gave us the reason why we think the Bank of England will continue to hike at this meeting, and that is simply that wage inflation is still too high for comfort here in the UK. Private sector wage inflation, wage growth, which the private sector wage growth, which the Bank have told us they are focused on, um, is still above 8%. So even if there is some cooling in the labour market, that will take time to feed through to wages. So while the bank may feel a little bit more comfortable about the, 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 the evolution of wages going forward, in the here and now, it can't be complacent, if you will, which is why we think there's one more left in the barrel, as it um, were. Now, in the case of both, the market's pricing about sort of, you know, 20 basis points more for the ECB from where we are at present, and just under 40 basis points for the bank, which we think is kind of you know, broadly fair value, given the balance of risks around the outlook um, to um, both. But like I said, this Thursday, ECB, next Thursday, Bank of England, very much marks the end of the, um, the, the European summer, if you will and um, both at or close to the end of their cycles. But I'll leave it there. Great. Thanks a lot. Uh, now let's turn it over to Simon to talk about Canada. All right. Thanks very much, Blake. Uh, definitely we'll hear some uh, consistent themes uh, with the Bank of Canada and the Canadian economy to what we just heard from Cahal and Blake. We expect the bank is done hiking following moves in June and July after coming off their conditional pause that they announced in January. But similarly, we think the Bank of Canada is unlikely to give an all-clear anytime soon, though, with explicit consideration of further tightening an important and effective strategy to keep cut pricing further out the curve and less pronounced. To be fair, there are important economic reasons to keep the flexibility to hike further as well. Still sticky core inflation and wage metrics are their main concern, with little progress on either of these fronts in recent months. The softening the labor market, so a half a percentage point increase in the unemployment rate in the past four months, and slightly negative Q2 GDP with flat consumption, and this was out on September 1st, provided the bank with a clear case for a hold last week. But they will need to see the softening in activity, one, not reverse in the upcoming data period, and two, 
flow through to the price and wage metrics. As Cahal mentioned for the UK and, and elsewhere, this typically happens with a lag. And the key question is, how much tolerance will the Bank of Canada have for sticky core inflation and wage growth? If the activity side continues to move in the right, that is the softening direction, then we think they will have some patience. In other words, we don't need core inflation at 3% on a three-month annualized basis or wage growth at a particular level in upcoming reports. If activity bounces back materially, then they will be more sensitive to the price metrics as well, and that is the main recipe for another hike. Our call here is pretty clear. We expect activity data to continue to soften, with GDP growth forecasted to be small negative in Q3 and Q4, alongside continued rises in the unemployment rate, we expect around 6% by year end. Bank of Canada has warned about the implications of higher oil prices for headline inflation, and we agree with that, but we do see core inflation trending towards 3% year-on-year by the end of 2023. This scenario is a clear case for a pause through this year and into the first half of 2024. And that's it for me on Canada, and I'll flip it back to Blake. Great. Thanks a lot. Uh, Now let's go over to Adam to talk about uh, BOJ in the end. Uh, thanks, Mike. So, a couple of reasons for broadening it out to uh, to include Japan in the debate. Um, firstly, as Blake mentioned, the um, threat of intervention is becoming very real in uh, dollar yen. And uh, then, secondly, the uh, comments from uh, BOJ Governor Ueda at the weekend um, mentioning the unmentionable uh, exit to negative interest rate policy, and the two kind of tie together. And um, so far this year, by, by far the strongest theme in FX markets has been uh, yen weakness. And the yen is down against every uh, G10 currency and virtually every emerging market currency this year. And th- these two things have emerged as potentially standing in the way of that trend going any further. So last week we had several Ministry of Finance officials stepping up verbal intervention to what is normally the highest level, so uh, watching markets with uh, a sense of urgency, that that latter phrase typically being as high as they go in terms of verbal intervention before physical intervention. Looking at the factors that drive MOF intervention historically, again, they do suggest the risk is high, so our model puts the um, probability at around 20%, which is historically very elevated. And it would be entirely consistent with the pace of appreciation we've been seeing for dollar-yen for the MOF to intervene at these kind of levels. Would it work? Well, it didn't last September um, and last October when they last intervened. And I think the um, general, uh, generally accepted wisdom is that intervention has the greatest chance of working when it's pushing in the same direction as domestic monetary policy. Uh, which it very much wouldn't be at the moment with the BOJ still pursuing uh, ultra-easy policy, whilst uh, central banks are uh, holding policy actively tight in the rest of the world. Um, If that changed, um, or is there any prospect of that changing after Ueda's comments uh, at the weekend? Um, So looking at what he said, his comments were heavily, heavily qualified and conditional. And... His comment was that it's possible that the BOJ could see conditions under which it considered exiting negative interest rate policy uh, starting to develop by the end of the year. And what he's talking about in particular is the labor market. 
And I think it would be um, quite revolutionary if that were to be the case. So um, on the indicators I'm watching most closely, um, nominal wage growth is currently running at around 1.5%. Real wage growth in Japan is running at minus 2.5%. And uh, the latter in particular is um, not in any way consistent with the um, medium-term inflation targets. So it may be that a waiter is setting up some conditions for far in the distant future under which they could consider exiting their negative rate policy, but I don't see that as a near-term prospect. So long as that's the case, the best that we can hope for from intervention is that it interrupts the decline of the yen and manages the pace of decline of the yen rather than having any hope of turning it around. And our core view remains that the trend of yen weakness, which has been so entrenched this year, runs to at least the end of the year. And in our refreshed forecast we published last week, we've extended both yen weakness and broader dollar strength out to the middle of next year. So on our forecast, we do make new highs in uh, dollar yen on to the north of, uh, of 150. So intervention risk is high. The chance of intervention doing anything other than briefly interrupting the trend in the yen is low, in my view. And with that, back to Blake. Great. Thanks a lot. And finally, to uh, round things off, let's go to Sue Lin to discuss Australia. Thanks, Blake. RBA Governor Lowe delivered another steady rate decision last week, the third in a row, leaving the cash rate at 4.1%. That's mildly restrictive and still well below its dollar block counterparts. In his last board meeting, with his term finishing at the end of this week and coupled with a final speech, the Governor continued to hint at a central bank reluctant to tighten much more and prepared to tolerate a slower return to within-target inflation. The hurdle to hike further is high and it continues to rise, reflecting three factors in our view. The first is dollar block central banks that have probably already reached terminal. The second is the ongoing signs of weakening in the consumer, which has hit stall pace. And the third is signs of loosening in the labour market with inflation moving in the right direction, although it still remains fairly elevated. At the margin, we'd also add that a weaker than expected China and still underwhelming policy response from the authorities is adding to the risk that the RBA cash rate is pretty close to its peak. This is underpinning a wait and watch approach from the RBA with a lingering tightening bias as it, like other central banks as we've discussed, maintains optionality until they're more confident that inflation, especially services, will move lower. We don't really think much changes on the policy front and the debate in the coming months as the new governor, Michelle Bullock, takes over. In our view, she also errs dovish. We've long argued that policy settings in Australia should probably be more restrictive and that our fundamentals are not that different to much of the dollar block with additional challenges when we think about Australia's strong population growth, the increase in household utility prices, which is emerging now, and the high minimum wage decision that was delivered not that long ago. That's why we've left a final 25 basis point hike in our profile, but it is pretty hard to fight this dovish central bank. Aussie bonds have mostly tracked global moves of late with an outperforming bias as the RBA's pause extends. We will obviously keep a close eye on the domestic data and developments, but really we think it's offshore that will be more important, especially developments on the Bank of Japan front amid increasing discussion of a further shift in YCC and probably more importantly the possibility of an earlier change to the negative policy rate stance. Back to you, Blake. 
All right. Thanks a lot, Julian. And uh, I guess with that, we will close today's call. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.